Hi, I'm Mark Chavez. I'm one of the hosts of Let's Make a, a comedy docuseries podcast about the creative process. Each season, my co-hosts, Ryan Beal, Maddie Kelly, and I, take on an artistic challenge and you follow our journey. In Let's Make a Sci-Fi, we wrote a science fiction TV pilot. In Let's Make a Rom-Com, we wrote a romantic comedy film. And on our latest season, Let's Make a Horror, we produced a horror short film. And when we run into trouble, we interview Hollywood experts. People who have worked on big things like The Blair Witch Project, The Office, Star Wars, Mamma Mia, and more. All three seasons of Let's Make a are available now, wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This podcast is an extended version of The Debaters, which may contain more mature themes. To stream the radio-friendly version of this episode, download the CBC Listen app or go to cbc.ca slash the debaters. And thanks for listening to the CBC. Hey, Canada! Your ship has finally come in from the coastal city of Halifax, Nova Scotia. It's the Debaters! The Debaters, where comedians fight with facts and funny, and this audience picks the winner. Now here's a man you'll meet schooner than later, Steve Patterson. Hey! Hello, Canada! Welcome back to The Debaters. And we're back in Nova Scotia. Yes, we are. A province full of people terrified to shout out. A province that knows how to get festive. Am I right? Yes. In fact, Lunenburg County claims to be the balsam fir Christmas tree capital of the world. Well done, Lunenburg. Some places out here even offer a chance to choose and cut your own tree. Though let's be honest, any place is a choose and cut your own tree as long as you're fast at sawing and no one's around. <laughs> Not to be outdone, Shelburne, Nova Scotia, now holds the province's annual pumpkin regatta, where participants paddle around a lake sitting inside giant pumpkins. <laughs> it must be tough, especially if your kids already carved a face into that pumpkin. <laughs> anyway, time to meet two debaters ready to face facts and cut each other down. This comedian is the apple of his mother's iPhone. It's P.I.'s Patrick Ledwell. Welcome, sir. When this comic tried to contact relatives with a Ouija board, she got ghosted. It's Winnipeg's Lara Ray. Lara Ray, looking radiant in polka dots and a tasteful chalk. I think we are in for a treat. Your topic is one that we think people will be glad to see. Kilts. Are they the height of fashion? Now, I am of Celtic descent, so I'll leave this topic to the debaters and keep my Irish mouth shut with scotch tape. But honestly, I think the perfect Celtic fashion is the flat cap, preferred by men like me who don't want people to see the little hair they have left underneath. I think men with thinning hair who don't wear flat caps are showing a brave heart. Since when the wind picks up, you can hear their hair yell, freedom, before it flies away. 
Time now for a debate that will be a crowd pleaser. So, whereas it's proud, stylish, and comfortable, be it resolved that the kilt is the perfect fashion statement. Lara, you are arguing for this, please. You have two minutes. Starting now, Lara Ray. <laughs> Thank you. As a Scotswoman, when asked to defend the kilt, I immediately agreed, as the alternative was being asked to defend the bagpipes. <laughs> and that's not a hill I wanted to die on, <laughs> as most bagpipers did in battle. <laughs> First off, a kilt is not a skirt which means a man can wear one while reading to children in Florida. <laughs> Kilts were designed exclusively by, and sewn exclusively by, men, and reflected the passed down traditional generational fabrics of each family or clan. There is no earlier example of a rejection of toxic masculinity <laughs> than the kilt and its rituals. But there is one area where kilted men did have to confront a more feminine issue, no pockets. <laughs> but a solution was found. A handbag was designed with the strap. Yeah. Now, did it fall elegantly on the hips like some wee girly man? No, it sits firmly in a place of honor, covering and protecting that universal symbol of manhood. Called the sporin, which is simply Gaelic for fanny pack. It is covered on the outside with firm horsehair. Not just because horses are extremely manly, which they are, but so you only wear it the wrong way round once. <laughs> Say yes to kilts, feminist manly men, and an independent Scotland. Thank you. <laughs> Laura Ray, on behalf of the kilt. Now, here to tell us why he thinks proving the kilt's inferiority will be a breeze, it's Patrick Ledwell. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Just to show the ridiculousness of this backwards, crotchless position, I did zero research on Google before writing this. I'm literally talking like a kilt. Shooting the breeze out both ends, not tethered down by anything modern. <laughs> hey, hey, interesting fact. The word kilt is an old-fashioned verb of killed. As in, uh, what's that thing you just killed and wrapped around your own groin? <laughs> there is often that funny furry thing dangling off the front of the kilt. Sometimes that's called failure to do up your kilt pin. Uh, 
For sure, if you want to be fancy, like my opponent, it's called the Sporn. As in, Mama, why was I Sporn? Also, sometimes because of failure to do up the kilt pin. Where else would a Scotsman keep his smartphone other than his ancient hanging man bag? Ring, ring. Oh, who is it on my smartphone? Twenty-first century calling. Get yourself a pair of pants, idiot. are decorated with tartans. And hey, did you know the colored lines in the cloth are actually a record of feuds with other clans? A thick red line? A recollection of the blood spilled at the Battle of Culloden. Thin yellow lines? From the time the British peed their pants laughing. (laughs) At the sight of an army wearing kilts. at the Battle of Sudden Updrafts. My my rebuttal has pointed at a hole in your argument for the kilt. There's a huge one, and it's right on the bottom. (laughs) Thank you, Halifax. Patrick Ledwell is against the kilt. It is time now for the bare-knuckle round. We're debating whether the kilt kills in the fashion world, so don't skirt the issue. Get a leg up and take the high road if your opponent takes the low road to show that underneath it all, you've got a clan-do attitude. (laughs) It's time to prove that you've scot what it takes because this round's tartan right now. Thank you. I was very interested that you would, uh, you would mock our defense of the Highlands uh, while at the same time, I guess, elevating uh, British military fashion. Have you uh, <laughs> done any research on the Monty Python-esque kind of things? The redcoats are coming. Yeah, we can see them from about seven miles away. Let's just <laughs> kill them all as they stiffly march towards us in ridiculously large bird-like hats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they listen to your bagpipes signaling the location. (laughs) The other thing I would say is, you know, and obviously, you know, I'm from Glasgow. I know how rough a city it is, but gentle at the same time. Uh, But but murderous, but gentle. But um, (laughs) uh, what would you wear to a knife fight, preferably? Uh, Slacks, where everything is outlined and evident. Or a, a kilt, which is more ambiguous, where you don't know where anything is. And, and have you ever tried to puncture wool? It's not that easy to do. I don't know. You can't keep a good kilt down, and that is the problem, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> that seems like a good place to end it. That's the bare knuckle round. We're debating whether kilts are the height of fashion. We've already determined they are the height of battle. It is time now for the firing line. In my hand, I have a list of questions on kilts brought to you by the new Scottish The Bachelor spinoff. 
The Bachelor. <laughs> Watching it is a guilty pleasure. <laughs> A 2021 GQ Australia article stated that the kilt has been reborn thanks to a combination of bold post-pandemic dressing and what else? Lara? Uh, bold post-pandemic dressing and Thousand Island dressing. <laughs> no? No, no. I'll give you half a point for saying dressing. Patrick? Uh, the kilt's coming back because of zipper supply chain issues. <laughs> There's a point. There's a point. Uh, the GQ Australia article said the kilt's been reborn due to a combination of bold post-pandemic dressing and our increasingly genderless approach to style. The colors of the provincial tartan of Nova Scotia include blue to represent the sea, green to represent the forests, and red to represent what? Lara Ray. The maritime economy. <laughs> oh, oh, some people are clapping, some are booing, some are clapping and booing, which I, <laughs> I admire. Patrick Gladwell. Nosebleeds from fights at the Sydney Legion. <laughs> also accept that. Apparently the red on the crest represents the lion on the Nova Scotia crest. You know, red... Red Lions. What is a utility kilt? What is a utility kilt? Patrick. Pants. <laughs> Useful. Useful pants. Lara Ray. A utility kilt is a kilt worn by Scottish Batman. <laughs> right? Batlass. 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 We should split gas on the Batmobile. I drove out here. Okay. <laughs> I just don't know why he keeps doing that South African accent. <laughs> it makes no sense. It makes no sense. A utility kilt is a modern adaptation of the traditional kilt used for outdoor activities and everyday wear. Just in case you're... Please, go into a store tomorrow and say, like a utility kilt, and then wonder why the man says, sir, this is a Sobeys. <laughs> That's the firing line, everybody. All right. We've done it. We're in the home stretch, and it's almost time for the Neptune Theater audience to vote. But first, here again to tell us why she thinks kilts are just the bee's knees. Let's hear again from Lara Ray. Thank you. Thank you. Ta. In conclusion, the return of the kilt is a return to non-toxic manhood. When I was a child, football, what idiots call soccer, was ruined <laughs> by the unmanly behavior of lagerlout fans who would be so obsessed with the beautiful game they would literally wet themselves rather than miss a shot. Now, when they wear a kilt, they can pee as freely as they like. Now, of course, non-Scottish men wear kilts as well, but it's different. And if a non-Scottish dude wears a kilt at his wedding, it does not make him less of a man, but it does highly suggest 
he was at one time involved in improvisational comedy <laughs> or Dungeons and Dragons cosplay. <laughs> but that's the bride's problem, not mine. Thank you. Laura Ray, on behalf of the kilt. Now, to one more time, kiss off the kilt. Let's hear from a tall drink of water wearing a tall pair of pants. Patrick Ledwell. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. The kilt has a checkered past. <laughs> and in the Maritimes, historic songs warn us of their dangers. If we would only heed the lyrics. Let's roll the drums here. Let's roll the drums. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, the year was 1778. How I wish I was in some pants now. Woo! A decree in March from the Scottish king. Wear a tartan skirt with a furry thing. God damn them all. I was told we'd cruise the streets in corduroys that would shield our boys. Zero degrees. Now I'm a skirted man in the Halifax breeze, my last embarrassed kilted knees. <laughs> oh, the kilt caught wind flung back in my face. How I wish I was in some pants now. <laughs> the gale broke in on my tender eggs. My enemies laughed at my pale white legs. <laughs> God damn them all! I was told we'd cruise the streets in denim. Boys, our wicks kept dry. Cannonballs wouldn't freeze. Ah! Now I'm a broken man in the Halifax breeze. My last embarrassed tilted knee. It is up to you to decide, Halifax. By applause, who felt that Lara's pro-kilt chatter really knocked Patrick's argument off kilter? Lara Ray. <laughs> Lara Ray, with some love for the kilt. And who felt a kinship with Patrick's anti-kilt muckraking Patrick Ledwell? <laughs> the audience has spoken. They've spoken against the kilt. The winner is Patrick Ledwell. Big hand for Patrick Ledwell and the one and only Laura Ray, everybody. You're listening to The Debaters on CBC Radio 1. Want to be a part of the debating action? For upcoming tour dates, visit cbc.ca slash the debaters. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. Hey, Halifax, are you ready to meet your next pair of debaters? Yes! Let's do it! 
This comic fears he might need braces, but will cross that bridge work when he gets to it. It's Toronto's Arthur Simeon! Here he is, Arthur Simeon, making his way across the stage to my left. And this comic believes that going camping requires a certain amount of intent. It's Nova Scotia's Peter White! Peter White from Nova Scotia. Taking his place at the lectern to my right. Your topic, debaters, is both a lofty one and a deep one to study. The ocean versus outer space. Which should we explore more? No one here cares, but personally. Personally, I'm terrified of both. Space has an angry empire fighting an old green guy that says things like, sense of fear in you, I see. And the deep sea has a weird crab who sings, the seaweed is always greener, it's somebody else's leg. Frankly, I prefer to stay right at sea level, which coincidentally is where my science grades in school stayed. <laughs> but now let's get ready for a debate that you will see is an A+. So. Whereas scientists estimate that only 5% of the ocean has been charted by humans, be it resolved, the deep sea is more important to explore than outer space. Arthur, you are arguing for this, please. You have two minutes, starting now. Arthur Simeon. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, all we have done is scar the deep sea for things we can eat. We've never considered checking on the things that can eat us. <laughs> yes, calamari, shrimp, and lobster have kept us fed, and oysters have allowed us to Netflix and chill. <laughs> but what if this was the plan all along? Fudden us up and allow us to multiply so there's enough of us to go around later. <laughs> Outer space exploration has brought us nothing but debris that we send up there in the first place. Outer space has also inspired countless movie and television ideas that are now people's entire personalities. <laughs> Listening to Star Trek versus Star Wars conversations makes me want to throw those nerds into the sea <laughs> to explore its depths. <laughs> Deep sea exploration would provide us with more flora and fauna that could be life-changing. Imagine the kind of magical mushrooms you would get from the bottom of the oceans probably make you feel like you're in outer space. Win-win. <laughs> outer space exploration has given us very little in terms of importance except for billionaires making phallic rockets to make up for their phallic shortcomings. <laughs> so. Some may argue that we need to explore outer space for other forms of life or whether they might be a threat. And as an immigrant, I can tell you, aliens don't stand a chance if they think they can come here to cause trouble. <laughs> if they come here, there's some freedom truckers that will deal with them, okay? <laughs> so let us explore the deep sea and leave outer space for crazy, greedy billionaires and Peter. Thank you. Arthur Simeon. Yeah. Arthur Simeon says yes to the deep sea and no thanks to deep space. Now, here with one small rebuttal for man and one giant leap in logic for mankind, here's Arthur's spaced out opponent, 
Nova Scotia's Peter White. Yes, thank you, Steve. Ladies and gentlemen, of course my opponent, a Torontonian, wants to explore the sea. If you lived in a giant parking lot with four million other people, you'd want to walk into the ocean, too. <laughs> As Nova Scotians, the ocean isn't that exciting. It's not that mysterious. We know the ocean. We grew up with the ocean. We understand why they've only explored 5% of the ocean. All right? It's the same reason I've only explored 5% of Dartmouth. All right? <laughs> It's enough to know it sucks. <laughs> Sometimes you don't have to watch the whole movie. Sometimes the trailer's enough. <laughs> There's nothing in the ocean, especially compared to space. Do you know what's in space? And I mean this in like the literal scientific meaning of the word, everything. <laughs> everything is in space. There's no telling what we could find if we explored space. We could find the origin of the universe. We could find the meaning of life. We could find the true nature of God. You know what we could find if we explore the rest of the ocean? Fish. It's just fish. There's only fish. The deeper you go, the more they look like British people for some reason. <laughs> Listen, this might have been a reasonable debate if it wasn't for one pesky little fact. The world is dying. We got like 50 years left. We need to find a new place to live, all right? We do. Listen, cards on the table. I don't know what's in the other 95% of the ocean. But I know for sure what's not there, an Earth-like planet. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know it and I know it. We didn't spend billions of years evolving our way out of the ocean just to walk right back into it. Thank you, Steve. Peter White. Nice job, sir. Yeah. Very well done. All right. It is time now for the bare knuckle round. We are debating if we should explore the deep sea over outer space. So try to strike atmosphere into the heart of your opponent and go where no debaters have gone before. You've both sunk a lot of thought into your arguments, so be prepared for things to get NASA tea. <laughs> Dive in and let's launch this segment in three, two, one, lip off. I'd like to start by acknowledging a very important point that uh, my opponent made, uh, something I do agree with. I mean, he is right. Space exploration has not given us anything of any importance whatsoever. I have to admit that. And just as, as an aside, I'd like to give a special shout out to our uh, listeners who are hearing this right now on satellite radio. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? Like, I thought we were just performing for these people. Like, other people <laughs> are going to listen to this. Uh, I would also like to make a small rebuttal. Uh, in my opponent's debate, he says there's nothing exciting to Nova Scotians about the ocean. There's nothing. Like, I've been to Nova Scotia a bunch of times. The only thing exciting here is the ocean. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, I said it. I said it. Listen, I think I speak for everybody in this room when I say I don't appreciate someone from Toronto coming down here to lecture us about the ocean, all right? <laughs> we would never, ever go to Toronto and lecture you guys on how to be self-centered jerks. <laughs> all right, that's the bare knuckle round, everybody. <laughs> We're debating 
Whether we need to explore more of the deep sea or outer space on the debaters. It's time now for the firing line. In my hand, I have a list of questions on the deep sea versus outer space brought to you by Starfish. <laughs> Starfish. The favorite food of Commander Chris Haddockfield. <laughs> yep, we worked pretty hard on that one. Finish this quote from American astronomer Carl Sagan. There are more stars in our universe than there are what on Earth? Arthur? Nick Cannon's offspring. <laughs> One point. Peter White? Uh, people who know who Carl Sagan is. <laughs> Seriously, was that the guy from Full House? That's for sure. That's for sure true. Uh, Carl Sagan says there are more stars in our universe than there are grains of sand on Earth. And it's not easy to verify that, but I think he's right. <laughs> Popularmechanics.com lists the 50 weirdest creatures from the deep sea. The top three include the peacock mantis shrimp, the pink see-through fantasia, and what else? Peter White. Doug Ford. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be, he had to come from somewhere, one point. Arthur Simeon. Jason Momoa. Little Aquaman action there. Yep. Two points. It's actually called the frogfish. <laughs> the deepest parts of Earth's oceans are named after which Greek god? Arthur? Yanis Adetokounmpo. <laughs> I did not know that. I did not know that. Yeah. Peter? Uh, I believe that's the legendary deepest oceanopolis. Good. Pretty good. Full point there. They're known as the Hadal Zone, named after Hades, the Greek god of the underworld. But you guys knew that. That's the firing line, everybody. All right. It's just about that magical time when our audience chooses a winner. But first, here with some more stellar reasons to explore space, it's Nova Scotia's own Peter White. We all know that you can't compare the ocean and space. I mean, you guys know that feeling when you look up at the stars, right? I mean, my opponent doesn't. He lives in Toronto. Uh, so he's in a massive fart bubble the entire time. The closest thing he sees to a star is Ben Mulroney. And that's sad. We can all agree that's sad. But you guys know the feeling. We in Nova Scotia, we look up at the stars all the time. You know that feeling. You're filled with wonder when you look at the stars. You look up and you're like, man. What does it all mean? What is up there? What's going on? Why is it all here? Why am I here? You can't help it. You don't get that same feeling when you look at the ocean. When you stare at the ocean, it's more like, man, fish and chips would be good. <laughs> Peter White, everybody. Peter White. That's why we want to get to space more than getting to the ocean. Now, taking another deep dive into why we need to see what's below the sea, let's hear again from Arthur Simeon. Deep-sea animals share the planet with us, and the planet is currently sinking into the oceans. Climate crisis is Uber Eats delivering humanity to the ocean dwellers, and we chose to skip the fishes on this one. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Why are we so eager to explore the farthest regions before understanding our own planet? 
We always say there's many fish in the sea, yet we don't really know exactly how many fish or whether they're introverts, Gemini, or cannibals. <laughs> only, only 5% of the deep sea has been explored by human beings. Coincidentally, only 5% of Canadian comedy has been explored by Canadians. <laughs> I say we change that today by checking out my website <laughs> and voting for me today and also uh, donate to Deep Sea Exploration. Thank you very much. Yeah. Arthur Simeon, he wants more Deep Sea Exploration and he wants more traffic on his website. <laughs> Please go visit it. That is it. It's time to vote. Neptune Theater by applause. Who thought that Arthur's oceanic oration was worth its salt and had incredible depth? Arthur Simeon. Okay. A lot of love for Arthur. And who thought that Peter's spectacular space speech was white years ahead of its time and had you all starry-eyed? Peter White. Oh. It is close. Yeah. It's very close. But I, I, just by maybe seven, eight light years. I got to give this to Peter White. Let's explore more space. Big hand for Peter White and Arthur Simpkin, everybody. Well, that's all for this week. I'm Steve Patterson saying if you are out there listening in deep space right now, it is amazing how powerful CBC's analog signal is. I'll argue with you again soon, Canada. Good night. <laughs> The Debaters is created by Richard Side. This week's episode was produced by Josh Bailey, Graham Clark, Chloe Edbrook, and Nicole Callender. With continuity by Graham Clark, Diana Francis, and Gary Jones. Technical production by Pat Martin and Larry Walker. Story editing by Gary Jones. With special thanks to Katie Ellen Humphreys and David Pride. Executive producer of CBC Radio Comedy is Lee Pitts. And thanks to everyone at the Neptune Theater in Halifax. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.